Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with you along with Mark Anthony, the psychic attorney. His latest work is called The Afterlife Frequency. We will take your calls this hour. Questions about the afterlife and also questions about uh, the dearly departed. Specific questions as well he'll take about somebody that you truly care about. Uh, There are criticisms of near-death experiences, Mark, that it's a uh, product of the brain as you're getting in that almost death state that it does these strange things to you. I guess, can you rule that out? The the main criticism or, or skeptical attack, if you will, George, is that a dying brain, specifically the pineal gland in the brain, as it degrades, produces a chemical known as dimethyltryptamine. DMT. DMT, absolutely. And DMT can be synthesized, people ingest it, and essentially it gives you an acid trip. And it it has a very spiritual feeling. You feel like you're floating. You get kind of this almost out-of-body sensation to it. However, what DMT doesn't do, it doesn't give you the sensation of traveling through a tunnel into the light. It doesn't give you an encounter with deceased loved ones. It doesn't give you veridical perception. Now, what I mean by veridical perception is facts that the dying person could not possibly know. For example, there was um, a case study, I believe, uh, conducted by Dr. Kenneth Ring. Uh, is one of the founders of IANS, International Association Near-Death Studies. And there was a woman in Japan who was would die during surgery, and when she was resuscitated, her parents were there, and she began to talk about her NDE. So this was documented at the hospital. And she said, I, I, I died, and I went into this light. And she said, and I saw my sister, but that cannot be, for she is alive. And her parents began to, to weep, and they said, well, you didn't know this, but your sister was killed in a car accident last night. Oh, my gosh. Okay, now, DMT is not going to induce that no Nor, yeah and and i've got several several more examples it comes down to this george artificially recreating something is not the genuine experience so if i take electrodes and shock a dead frog and and its legs convulse have i brought the frog back to life or have i just artificially recreated a reaction to an external stimulus and therein lies the difference between artificial inducement of a feeling through a chemical like dimethyltryptamine and the actual experience of your electromagnetic soul aligning with the higher vibration of the afterlife frequency. In the movie Frankenstein, Mark, they took uh, this uh, dead body and body parts of all of them and put them together, uh, gave it electric shock from electricity, from lightning, and the body became alive. Now, of course, it's a movie, but... Was that taking a dead whatever and making it come back from the dead? You know, that's an interesting, uh, very interesting uh, story because in, in uh, I believe it was 1765, we've all heard about Benjamin Franklin uh, discovering electricity when he flew the kite and it got hit by lightning and the, the key that was hanging on it, you know, was glowing. Well, within 15 years of that, in Italy, Luigi Galvani, um, discovered bioelectricity, and that's why I use the example of taking um, electrical current and shocking a frog, okay, because that's what he did. 
and he coined the term bioelectricity because he's the one that helped to develop and discover that our body's nervous system operates on electrical impulses. And by 1805, okay, so we're talking within, within you know, 40 years from Benjamin Franklin, that gave Mary Shelley the idea to write Frankenstein. Aha. Uh-huh. Isn't that cool? That you is know? cool. Yeah, but my favorite version of it was young Frankenstein, you know, so. <laughs> That's right. Abby Normal. Abby Normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what is a deathbed vision? Deathbed visions have been reported worldwide for thousands of years. And what happens there is somebody who is actively dying, and they begin to see spirits of deceased loved ones. And what happens is bystanders oftentimes get caught up in the frequency uh, you have reports from family members, close friends, hospice, and other healthcare workers in close proximity to the person dying. They will also see the images and uh, the spirits of of the people who are coming to greet this person as their soul transitions. And George, I want to go a little bit out on a limb here because right. uh, with deathbed visions, limbs limb, limbs could break, Mark. You know that. I'm sorry, what? Limbs can break. you got to be limbs, careful. Limbs can break. Well, Steve Jobs, okay, the founder of, of Apple Computers, one of the most famous uh, people in the world, he was surrounded by, by his family, and right before he died, he looked up, and he said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Yeah. As yeah. if he was describing something. And then, and this is, is my theory, and I'm not saying this, to, to start any type of social or political reaction or anything, but as a legal analyst, as a near-death experiencer and researcher, and as a medium, the George Floyd video where he was, was dying, one of the last things that he said, he goes, Mama, I'm through. And a lot of people kind of glossed over that, and admittedly, he did at times refer to his girlfriend as Mama, mm-hmm. but... He was also very, very close to his mother. In fact, he was even described as a mama's boy, and he, uh, and he called her mama. And it is very possible, George, that the George Floyd video may be the most heavily documented evidence of a deathbed vision in history. And once again, I'm saying this strictly as a researcher and a clinician. I am not making any social or political commentary on this. But the fact of the matter is, Deathbed visions are very, very um, widespread. I have observed them personally uh, with family members and close friends and also being called in by families when somebody is transitioning because, you know, they want me to reassure the person dying and the family members, you know, just want me there. And not just, I'm not the only one seeing or perceiving the spirits, people who are not mediums are picking up on it as well because we have a lot of electromagnetic activity going on here and their um, brains, their electromagnetic fields are, are overlapping with those of the afterlife frequency, which is why people are, uh, the deathbed vision goes from that into now the realm of a shared death experience. Right, okay, so those around the dying person pick things a- up. Absolutely. Is that uh, normal? Very. 
It is. It, it, it is. In fact, uh, the the deathbed vision and shared death experience phenomenon is, as uh, my friend and colleague Dr. Jeffrey Long has described, the new frontier in afterlife research. And the thing is, there's always been a social stigma about people saying, you know, um, my mother was dying and she kept talking about her relatives and I felt they were there or I saw them. And what we have seen is that in the deathbed vision slash shared death experience, what happens is bystanders may see the spirits. They may see a surge of white light come out of the, the body for an instant. Um, they may hear indescribably beautiful music. And this is a really fascinating phenomenon, George, is uh, the sense of floating. People feel, wow, I felt kind of dizzy like I was being lifted off my feet. And what they're experiencing is a lot of what, what we as mediums get when we're connecting with this higher frequency. So the, 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 the truth is that these experiences are real, and particularly when we start looking at them from the, through the lens of it being a shared death experience, this takes the near-death experience out of the subjective and makes it objective because more than one person can report on what the dying person is experiencing. Is there a common denominator here, Mark, with all of these shared experiences? Absolutely. And it all gets back to, to my theory of the electromagnetic soul. Because as an EMS is leaving a person's body, um, the, there is an intensity of electromagnetic energy. Now, let's make this, let's look at this in something that's easy to understand. Think of an incandescent light bulb that gets brighter right before it goes out. We've all seen that, you know, and you hear pop like and then that. And then it goes, yeah. It, then it goes. And that's because the tungsten in the filament is no longer able, it degrades and is no longer able to handle the amount of energy that it's used to regulating. By analogy, that's what's going on with our brain when we're dying. Okay, the electrical, um, the axons, the, the, the ability for your brain to process the energy, the electrical activity that it normally does is no longer, it's no longer able to do that. And we're seeing this in, in, a, in a phenomenon referred to as terminal lucidity. And that's where people who are comatose, severely brain damaged, um, have Alzheimer's, many, many different forms of brain impairments. So there's no one common denominator between the impairments. But in 5 to 10% of the cases, this is reported worldwide, people regain lucidity in the last moments of life. They'll come out of it, talk to loved ones around them, say coherent things. And the one thing, George, that all neuroscientists will agree on is that the brain does not suddenly grow a billion new neurons right before it dies. So what's happening here is, once again, an example that the brain only hosts consciousness. It doesn't create it. And as the brain is no longer able to handle that amount of electrical activity, the EMS is now overlapping with the, the electromagnetic fields of the people in close proximity, as well as the spirits where the, the EMS is about to transition to the higher frequency of the afterlife. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.